One of the joys, it seems to me, of satellite navigation or sat-nav is that those arguments have dried up. You know those ones, that, the ones in the car that go, well, where are we? Well, look on the map. But it was that last junction back there, I told you we should take it. Why weren't you concentrating? You've got the map upside down. It seems that those arguments have stopped, now we just shout at the sat-nav. And despite me studying geography at university, the reality is when the pressure is on and you're late and the weather's a bit murky and the night is setting in and you have absolutely no idea where you are, you need more than just a map. We're lost. Utterly lost and we need someone to get us home. And why is that? You can't read the map. He zoned out about five minutes ago, something good came on the radio, and now it makes no sense at all. Genuinely, what are those little lines and those squiggles? What are they for? What, what does it mean, and how old is this map anyway? Are, are the roads that we're on actually on it? We need someone to come and take us home. And Paul has been saying to us in this chapter in Romans that, that the problem is not the law. That the law is perfectly good. It is from God. It, it has to be good. The problem is, we can't keep the law. It's as if we've got a map in our hands. And it's telling us all that we need. It's telling us what we need to know. It's telling us how to get home. We can see it's very helpful. But we just can't read it. We can't do it. And from a distance, some might think that the Christian faith is like all the other religions. You try and be right with God... And he will reward you for doing well. And yet that's wrong. We've seen that in previous weeks. We are not under law anymore. It's not about trying to do our best, trying to notch up brownie points, trying to pacify him. Paul's very clearly said the last few weeks, we are not under law. Flip back to 6 verse 14. Because you are not under law, for sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Or again, we saw it a week before last, I think. 7 verse 6. But now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. We're we're released from the law now, says Paul. And so Paul says, when you think of the Christian life, don't think of Christians as people who are law-doers. People who live by the law. No, think of people who are Christians as those who live by the Spirit. And I take it the the relationship of of the law and the Christian in Rome would be quite a live issue. We, We know something of the church there. We know something that it was mixed. It was Jewish and Gentile background believers. Different groups united by the gospel. But where does this law fit in? How do we relate to the law now? He's taken great care to show that all of mankind, regardless of their background, is sinful, is in need of God's forgiveness. But it's fascinating. To to deal with lawlessness, Paul does not preach law. He, He preaches Christ. He preaches the gospel of grace. He says, what you need is not more law, it is Jesus. That's challenging to me as a parent. I 
look at my children, I see them being naughty, what do I want to do? I want to give them more law, more rules. I wonder what Paul would do. We're to be people who serve in the new way of the Spirit. And so it seems to me that 7 verse 6 basically leads straight into chapter 8. He tells us in 7 verse 6 that we live in the, serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. But then before he gets into chapter 8, he anticipates and he deals with the objections that we're going to have. So Paul, let me get this straight. You seem fairly negative towards the law. Are you saying that the law is not good? Are you saying that the law is, is sinful? Are you anti-law, Paul? Well, Paul says, no, no, the law is not sinful. Last week he showed us that. He says the law in and of itself is not sinful. It is you who are sinful. It's me and my sin, rather than the problem being the law. The fault lies with me, so have a look at verse 7 from last week. If the law had not said, you shall not covet, but sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting, for apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. Paul says it's as if the law is like a greenhouse, which means that sin grows and blossoms and flourishes and produces fruit. And that fruit leads to death. And yet halfway through the chapter, in chapter 7, the danger is we think, yikes, if the law was meant to bring life and I am on the trajectory towards death, if it's me who is sinful, then what I need to do is to pull my socks up. I need to try a bit harder. I need to put some more hours in. I need to do more. I need to sort it out. And then I'll be okay. Then I'll have life. But Paul says no. No, no, because of our sin, the law can never bring life. We, we can't read the map. It won't get us home. Now it might well be that you know that there's quite a bit of debate in this second half of chapter 7. Um, there are disagreements as to who is uh, being described here. Gallons of ink have been spilled. People <coughs> trying to get to grips with what's going on. And the big question that people wrestle over particularly is who is Paul describing um, from verse 14 onwards? Are these verses recounting the experience of a Christian person? Somebody who's understood the gospel, somebody who's believed? Or, or is it somebody who's not yet a Christian? I'm going to be honest and be frank. The arguments for both are pretty strong. For people who think it's a Christian, they will say stuff to you like, well, it's written in the present tense. So suddenly in verse 14, it changes and it's all about I. And it's all about me. 
And it seems that Paul is talking personally. So just have a look at 19 to 20. This tongue twister. Uh, For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin living in me. They say the tone has changed. Paul is talking personally. He's letting us into his normal, everyday Christian experience. Others in that camp will say, well, secondly, don't you just identify with that? Don't those verses just resonate with you and your experience? Isn't that what you feel on Monday morning? You want to live for Christ if you're a Christian, but you just, you just find yourself being self-centred again. You long to break free from, from that pattern of behaviour, but you just keep dragging yourself back in and again and again and again, and you can't break free. You're, you're ensnared by it. Or they might say, have a look at verse 22. Look, there's someone here who delights in God's law. This, this person has to be a believer. We'll see in a couple of weeks, in 8 verse 7, the next chapter, that the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. And this is somebody who delights in God's law, end of chapter 7. So they have to be a Christian. Someone not governed by the flesh, as he puts it. So they will be adamant. This, this is a Christian. End of chapter 7. But then there are people on the other side of the fence. And they say to us, Ah, but your argument isn't quite so watertight, is it? Actually, look a bit closer at the verses. Maybe this is a, a pre-Christian. Somebody who's not quite there yet. So they say maybe firstly, 7 verse 14... Uh, who, who are you slave to? I, I am unspiritual. I am sold as a slave to sin. But, but back in chapter 6, he had said, now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leaps to holiness and the result is eternal life. You see, look, chapter 7, this is someone who is sold as a slave to sin. That They're not like the person in chapter 6, <coughs> sold as a slave to Christ. They, they cannot be Christians. Well, they might say, well, it's fascinating. Have a look in chapter 7, from verse 6 onwards, and tell me where you see the Holy Spirit. And the answer is nowhere. There's no mention of the Spirit at the end of chapter 7, but that has been the trajectory of Paul's argument so far. As Christians, we are, he says, to enjoy life by the Spirit. All Christians receive the Spirit on conversion. That's everyday Christian living. But here, he doesn't mention God's Spirit despite him going on about it before and after in chapter 8. So what is going on in chapter 7? It goes against the flow of all that he's been saying. So, so what are we to do? What are we to do with chapter 7? What's it about? Who's it for? Hopefully you'll agree with me. There are, there are very good arguments both sides of the fence. Both positions. And I'll say... There are well-respected theologians and leaders and pastors who are far cleverer than me at these things who will be divided. Good arguments for it being a Christian. Good arguments for it not being a Christian. And so some say, well, the fact that we are so divided, the fact that it's so difficult, 
Do you know, maybe that means we're asking the wrong question. The fact that it's so hard to pin down, maybe we're asking questions that Paul did not mean us to answer in the text. But do you remember, the question for chapter 7 seems to be, is the law bad? And the answer is, no, I am bad. The other question bobbing around is, why does Paul not preach more law to deal with behaviour? And so I wonder if he's saying at the end of chapter 7, whoever you are, whether you're a Christian, whether you're a non-Christian or a pre-Christian, the law is never going to help you. It is never going to solve your problem. It will never make you good. You will never really change by trying to keep law. Law keeping is external. The problem is within. The problem is internal. So I wonder if these verses actually are simply about that the inability of law to make us good, to change us, whether you're Jew or Gentile or, or simply a, a moral person. Fundamentally, law is powerless to change you. And I think to make this point, Paul sets up at least three little cycles of at least three steps in each. And I think the purpose is to show us what happens and why it happens if you try and rely on law. So the first bit in each cycle seems to be a statement of the fact that we are all in the grip of sin. We'd be unpopular for speaking that kind of language in the marketplace of ideas at the moment or in our culture. The concept of sin is seen as a a nasty remnant from our naive religious past. But in Paul's mind, it is universal and it is serious. We're all in the grip of sin, says Paul. Now, of course, we're not as bad as we might be. We can still do great things, acts of bravery and courage and kindness. But Paul is clear, sin is real. And we are prisoners held captive by sin. We're not neutral. Our default direction is is away from God and towards self. So, So verse 14, for example, we're slaves to sin. Verse 18, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. It's as if we're tied up and entangled, held captive by sin, and we can't do anything about it. Which means there's this battle going on within, second point in the cycle. So we don't do what we want to do. We're unable to do it. It's why New Year's resolutions are so popular. Because we say to ourselves, I must change how I live. How are yours going? Have they gone? Or we say to ourselves, I will never speak like that again. I will never treat them like that again. I will never hurt them in that way again. And yet we still do. I don't do what I want to do. I'm unable to live as I want to. I do do what I don't want to do, says Paul. There's this battle going on. So have a look at some of them. Verse 15. I do not understand what I do for what I want to do. I do not do, but what I hate, I do. Or verse 18. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Or again, verse 21 to 23. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me. 
Regardless of whether we're a Christian or not, there's still a recognition that we are unable really to change our behaviour. We're powerless to do what is right. And we hate it. If you're here and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, my challenge for you for this week is to to live perfectly this week. Live a life that is perfect, that will completely please God. Choose right in every situation. And prove Paul wrong. And then come and tell me next week how you got on. It seems to me as if sin is like one of those annoying trick birthday candles. Do you know, and you blow it out, and there it is again. And you blow it out, and there it is again. And you blow it out, and there it is again. And the joke's worn a bit thin, hasn't it? The man who says, I want to be a better dad, but falls at the first hurdle and shouts angrily at the kids. I want to be a more honest employee, but again, he slips into being overly generous on his expenses claim. I want to be a more law-abiding citizen, but then he's late, and so the speed limit goes out the window. I want to speak more kindly, but we just find ourselves joining in the the staff room gossip again. It seems to me it's why so many Christians do associate with these verses. This, This side of eternity, we are in a battle in these bodies. And we will be in a battle in these bodies. Our delight might be elsewhere in God's ways, our minds and our thinking and our desires may be on him. To to do good, to not do evil. But still in these bodies we, we veer towards what is wrong. Many have said it's like the, um, the shopping trolley at the supermarket. You know, the one you, you wrestle with it, but it just constantly goes the wrong way. You push to the left and it goes to the right. You push to the right and it goes to the left. Seems to me our, our hearts are a bit like that. Under law, they go wrong. They veer away. We're sucked in by the allure of sin. It entices us and, and that's the way we go. Rather than following God. But then the third bit in the little cycle, it seems to me, shows something of the depths of sin. It talks again and again about sin living in me. It seems there's almost a distinction between me and, and the sin doing the action. It's fascinating. So, look at verse 17. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. Again in verse 20, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Or verse 23, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Paul says it's almost as if the real me wants to do God's will. But but then there's another force that's at work in my body. My eyes look at things that I don't want them to look at and my mouth says things that I don't want them to say and, and my mind thinks about things that I wish it wouldn't and my heart runs after things that promise life and joy and hope but they never do. My whole body seems full of these sinful desires that I, I carry out before I even realise what's going on. I feel like I'm a, a prisoner in my own body, says Paul. 
So it seems to me as well, we, we need to take care because it corrupts every bit of us. Whoever we are, whether we've been doing battle with sin for, for decades or we're, we're brand new Christians, if we feel that we've got it nailed and sorted or if we're just toddlers, in these bodies we're never out of the woods. The prayer warrior who, who loves to cry out to the Lord but just wakes up one morning and feels cold to him and his ways. The generous giver who's, who's finding money just has a bit more of a, a hold on them at the moment. The hard-working business traveller who, who, for whatever reason, in his uh, hotel just is tempted by the, the pay-per-view TV. The godly, ambitious academic who just finds themselves jealous of their contemporaries, of their success. The loving husband or the loving wife who finds their eyes just drawn away, tempted by another. Paul seems to say, whoever we are, sin is at work in us, living in us. It's a battle. Sin goes deep. Don't be complacent. Do you feel something of that battle? in your life? If you do, you're in good company. Because Paul seems to blurt out there in 24 and 25, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that's subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Lord simply shows me how much I need a saviour. We have this map in our hands, but we, we don't understand it. He can't get us home. We, we need Christ, one who will deliver us from this body that is subject to death. So why does Paul preach Christ rather than a bit more law? Why is the, the answer to lawlessness not more law? Well, because only Jesus has the power to set us free from the grip of sin. Nothing else will do. It is only Jesus, verse 25, who delivers us, who rescues us. If you're here and you've been a Christian for a while, I want you to cast your mind back, if you can, to when you first became a Christian. When you first trusted Christ for yourself, you were, do you remember, you were convicted of sin. The law said you, you must run to Jesus. Only he can deal with it. You, he's your only hope. You're, you're helpless. Only at the cross can you find the forgiveness you need. Only at the cross will you find the grace that you need. Maybe you're here and you aren't a Christian. I would urge you to go to the cross. Only Jesus can set you free and deal with your sin. Law's not going to help. But the danger is if we think that we've grown up as Christians, that then suddenly things get turned on their head and we think we need a bit more law to sort us out. Just a few more rules, just a bit more discipline. Just some fences that we put up to, to protect us from sin. And yet it seems to me, whoever we are, the law is never sufficient. 
It is never going to change us. It will never make us good. It is only Jesus who will do that. And his cross.